the wrong attitude, and sometimes we do too. The Pharisees' wrong attitude shows up in verse 2. If you want to turn to Luke 15, we'll start in verse 1, and we'll stop at verse 2 for now. 15.1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners, even eats with them. You see, for their view, that was just plain wrong. You see, the Pharisees taught that God hates sinners. They even had a rule, and here's what it was. One must not associate with an ungodly man. And here's Jesus with, as the scriptures describe it, with sinners and tax gatherers who were seen as the worst of sinners in that culture. The Pharisees weren't to associate with an ungodly person even to teach them the law. So the question is, what hope is there for the person who's separated from God and his ways if those who know God won't even associate with them? How can they come to know God when those who already know him refuse to have anything to do with them? Now, the Pharisees were concerned about keeping the law. They were concerned about personal holiness and witness, and that's legitimate. We should all be concerned about our personal holiness and walk with God and, and our witness to a lost world. But the question is, to what are we witnessing when we won't have anything to do with someone we consider godless, a sinner? Just what are we saying about God? What are we saying about Jesus? What are we saying about the gospel, which is supposed to be good news? The only possible witness is that you are hopelessly lost. And that's not good news. And more importantly, it's not true. There are obvious dangers for believers in too close an association or connection with people who don't follow God and who are in constant rebellion against him. The reality is our thinking can be corrupted, our actions can be corrupted, but how will the lost be found without someone being with them to instruct them and put flesh on God by being there? And isn't that what Jesus was doing in the passage? Let's get a little perspective on it again. We're going to back up to Luke 14 for just a moment. Re remember that the chapters and verses that we're so familiar with were added much later than the New Testament was written. I mean, it's very handy for us because I can say, turn to Luke 15, 1, and you all know, and you're there. Before, it's just one long writing. So when you have a chapter division, sometimes it's a good division. You know, people, they tried to think about, okay, what, how are things working here? What would be a good break? But sometimes it leads us, leads us astray. In the last two verses of Luke 14, Jesus has just taught them about discipleship and the cost of discipleship. 
And he says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor the manure pile is thrown out. Now that's, we won't talk about that. That's just kind of leading up to the next sentence. The last sentence in Luke 14 is, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. A different translation says, or excuse me, verse one then says, now the tax collectors and sinners are all gathering around to hear Jesus. Another translation says, let anyone who has ears to hear listen. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. Who had ears to hear? Who wanted to listen to God's truth? These sinners came to listen to what Jesus had to say, and he welcomed them. The Pharisee says, said that God loves the righteous. People like the Pharisees, in other words. And he hates sinners. But what's God's true attitude towards the sinner? Towards the lost? Luke 15, Jesus responds to their questioning his welcoming sinners and fellowshipping with them by eating with them. His response are three parables, probably very familiar parables. So how do we put all those parables together? Well, I would suggest this following sentence kind of pulls together the teaching of all three parables. And the sentence is this. God the Father values the sinner and seeks him or her out until he can joyfully welcome them to himself. God the Father values the sinner and seeks him or her out until he can joyfully welcome them to himself. Let's look at the first two of the parables, Luke 15, verse 3, through verse 10. They grumble, and then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you, that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Verse 8. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me! I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The next parable is long, but it's one that's very familiar, I'm sure. It's the prodigal son, or more accurately, the parable of the two lost sons. But you remember that 
there was a man who had quite a bit of wealth and he had two sons and the youngest son comes up and says, I want out of here. I want all my inheritance now. And now one of my kids came to me and say, wait till I die, you're on your own. But that father said, okay, and gave him his inheritance. And you know the story, he goes off to another land and lives in a way that is very inappropriate. In fact, his brother later on in the passage says he spent all his money on prostitutes and wild living. Wild living. And so he squanders all the money. He's poor, he's starving, he's feeding pigs in a pigsty, and then he comes to his senses and comes back. And you probably know how the father responds to that. We'll look at that a little bit more in detail later. But that's the third parable that Jesus tells. God the Father values the sinner and seeks him out until he can welcome him to himself. Let's break that down a little bit. God the Father values the sinner. Even though he's lost. A sheep was lost. Probably through stupidity. I mean, sheep are supposed to stay with the flock and this one wandered off. The coin's lost. No fault of its own. If there's any fault, it's the person who owned the coin. And a son is lost through sin. Pride, rebellion, self-will. All different reasons. All are lost. Yet all are things of value. You see, even though you may be far from God, you are valued by God. Even though the people around you at work or at school or in the neighborhood or theater, if you go to the theater or on the golf course, may be far from God, they are valued by God. See, God values the sinner even though they're lost. And even though he or she may be unworthy. Let's look at the parable of the son again. Luke 15, verses 8 and 19. He wakes up or comes to his senses and he says to himself, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. See, the son had done some horrible things. And he recognized it. He was selfish. He was rebellious. He was independently self-willed. He was ungrateful. He had sinned against God and against his own father. But he was willing not only to recognize it, but to also acknowledge it when he came to his physical father. But he, even though he was lost and unworthy, he was highly valued. Do you ever feel unworthy? Maybe even lost? Have you ever been selfish? Rebellious? Independently self-willed, ungrateful. You're still highly valued 
my God. Do you know anyone who doesn't measure up to God's standards and doesn't seem to even care about God's standards? Do you know anyone seemingly unworthy of God's love? They're of great value to God, just like unworthy you. How do I know that? How do we know that people are of value to God? Well, let's ask a basic question. How do you determine value? We, we live in a time when gas was a couple bucks cheaper just a month or two ago. Why is it so much val more valuable now? There's a lot of reasons. But it basically boils down to value is determined by what people are willing to pay for something. What's the value of a work of art? Back in the crazy 60s, there was a guy that gave a chimpanzee two squirt guns full of paint, and the chimpanzee knew he could, you know, oh, this is fun, and he just took a canvas and then all kinds of stuff with it, and the guy sold that for thousands of dollars. What value was it? What someone was willing to pay? I was reminded in a conversation recently about a visit to the Milwaukee Art Museum a few years ago I took and reminded me that if value is on what people are willing to pay, there's a lot of art that I do not value that was in, <laughs> that, was in that museum. Value is what someone's willing to pay. Do I need to remind you of the price God paid, was willing to pay to bring rebellious people like you and I back to himself. The price that was paid to bring us into a right standing with him, to take care of our sin and rebellion. We'll remember and celebrate that price in just a few moments when we come to communion. What is God's attitude towards the sinner, towards the lost? God values the sinner, and God the Father seeks the sinner. Now, I've already said, the Pharisees said that God hates the sinner, but that raises the question of, well, what about that sinner who repents? What about the person who comes and said, well, I want to know about God. I want to straighten out my life. What do you do with them? Now, some of the rabbis, not all of them, but some of them said that God would welcome that sinner. Which means there were some that said, too late, tough. So what was new to the Pharisees, though, when Jesus taught what he taught through the parables, what was shocking to them, what was scandalous, what was nearly incomprehensible for their way of thinking, was that God wasn't sitting around with crossed arms and a scowl on his face, waiting for someone to come to their senses. It shocked them, it angered them, when Jesus taught that God would actually take the initiative and seek out sinners. Look at the example of the sheep and the coin when it comes to seeking. The sheep, there were 99 in the fold and no danger, content. They were safe. But there was one that was not there. 
Now, as a business person, you might have said, one out of 100, 1% loss, not too bad, we can handle that. I'm gonna go to bed. Tough on the sheep. Problem is, Jesus was teaching, God does not think like a business person. He thinks like a father. If you're responsible for a group of kids and you take them to the state fair and you happen to lose one, I don't want to be on your shoes when you come to your, the parents and say, hey, it's only a 10% loss. It's okay. We got nine of them back. What, what's your problem? When we were in Quebec, we had a pastor friend who had a scat of kids. I think they were up to nine or 10 at the time when they, this happened to them. Claude would say, he openly admitted it, this, they went to a friend's house, they took the whole gang. You know, got late at night, oh, let's go home. They're on their way home and, and the wife does a head count. Oops, <laughs> we're missing one. is kind of a troublemaker anyway. It's only a 10% loss. No. He turned around and went back and found the kid asleep under some blankets or something. See, God doesn't think like a businessman. He thinks like a father. Many may be responding to the gospel. But that doesn't mean that God is content. He rejoices with those who believe. But he isn't content because there's still one out in the dark. There's one outside the fold. There's one in danger. You see, the lost one isn't of more value than the 99. He's just in more danger. God will seek him out. Would you be content with 99? God's not content. He's going to seek them out. Switch gears a little bit. The coin and seeking. It was sought with a lot of hard work. Now, for most of us, if we lose a coin, we're not going to sweep the house and go through a whole major cleaning thing. I mean, how dirty is this place that you can't find a coin that fell on the floor? Well, in those days, you had stone floors or dirt floors, and to keep dust down or maybe insulate a little bit, what'd you use? You didn't have shag carpet or anything like that, so you put straw down. So can you imagine you have a little coin and you drop it or maybe you kick it when you drop it and it goes who knows where and almost literally a needle in a haystack to find that, to find that coin. So to find the coin, you had to shift, sift through the straw. You had to remove it. You had to sweep the floor. It's a lot of work. Probably took a lot of time, but it was worth it because the coin was of great value. Maybe I'm the only one that does this because I'm lazy, but 
You ever dropped a, you know, you've, guys, you put it in your pocket and you pull out a couple of coins and you hear one go clink and roll away? And what's your first thought? At least mine is. What is it? Is it a penny? Is it a dime? Is it a quarter? This is a penny. Maybe for a quarter, I'll go look for it and pick it up. What determines if you take the time and effort to go find it? The value to you of that coin. How much effort has God already made to reach loss? We'll remember the life, death, and resurrection of Christ in just a few moments. What's God's attitude towards sinner? He values the sinner. He seeks the sinner. And then God the Father welcomes the sinner with joy. Let's dive back into Luke 15. Look at the welcome that the son received when he repented and returned to the father, humbly confessing his sin. We'll start in verse 18 once more. Luke 15, 18. I will sit out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate. Let's party, in other words. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. No accident that he was seen a long way off. I think the father was watching for him. Maybe every day he'd look, look towards the road and say, I wish he'd come back. I hope to see him. You see, the father's love didn't begin when the son showed up repentant and confessing his sin. He was loved when he was far away, when he was unworthy. You see, God loves you and me, even though we may be far away and unworthy. He wants us to recognize our sin, to acknowledge it, to recognize that, yes, there's a separation. And humbly return to him through Jesus. Maybe for the first time, if you've never asked Christ in your life, or maybe just as a form of repentance, as a believer who's strayed. And how, what is the reaction? It's joy. There's a thread of joy that runs through this whole thing. In fact, someone once said that these are more about joy than they are about forgiveness. The Pharisees thought this is what brought joy to God the Father. I quote, There is joy before God when those who provoke him perish 
from the world. Jesus said this is what brought joy to God the Father. Verse 7, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And then verse 10, in the same way I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And what were the reactions when the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son were found? It's party time in all three cases. Do you want to bring joy to God's heart? Be a sinner who repents and turns away from your sin and towards God. Be someone who asks Jesus into your life to be your Lord and Savior, to rely on his death to pay the penalty for your sin. And don't forget the place where the lost are still outside in the dark. God wants to rejoice over them as well. What's God's attitude towards sinners? God the Father values sinners highly and seeks them out until he can welcome them to himself with joy. Value, seeking, welcoming. That's God's attitude. That's God's attitude towards us and towards a lot of the people that we know. Let's pray. Father, I confess that there are often times when I see someone doing something or saying something and it's against you and, and my first reaction is anger. But then I think of how many years I spent doing things apart from you and in rebellion to you. And I'm glad that your response was love. Father, we thank you that you do love us. We thank you that even though you are holy, you figured out a way for us to come to you through Jesus. We thank you that you rejoice not in the, those who perish, but in those who are saved from perishing. Father, help us to remember your attitude whenever we stray and wonder if we can return, if we can repent. Help us to remember your attitude when we interact with people who don't know you and maybe don't even care about you. Father, help us, unlike the Pharisees, to have your heart and your attitude towards those who don't know you yet. So Father, we thank you, we praise you. We thank you for the, these uh, three parables that t tell us about your heart. We thank you for the salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus. And the opportunity that we have to celebrate, just like they celebrated a lost son and a lost coin and a lost sheep, we can celebrate Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that allows us to come to you and be found. So Father, we thank you. 
We praise you. We pour out our hearts before you. In Jesus' name, amen.